Hey, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In studio this week with me, we have Anthony Lemke. Anthony is someone whose voice you will recognize if you are a faithful listener to this show. You have also seen him on Bomb Girls, the movie, 1912, The Listener, The Good Witch, Flashpoint, Lost Girl, uh, Blue Mountain State, the miniseries Exploding Sun, and of course, the hit TV show Dark Matter on Space TV. Uh, Your character's name is Three. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk all about that. Uh, we're also going to talk uh, today because we we've, we've sent the rest of the panel home. Normally, when you've been here in the past, uh, <laughs> there's been other people in the room, and we've talked about the important stuff. Is Justin Bieber outstaying his welcome? Is Beyonce the biggest star? Whatever yeah, it is, yeah. we were talking about pop culture news. We're doing something a little different. We're talking about your work. Uh, with uh, a very important group called Handicapped International, HI. And uh, you became involved with them in November 2015, so about a year now. And in that year, you've done lots of stuff. We're going to get to all that. I'm going to start with Dark Matter. Let's get that out of the way because people want to hear about it. (laughs) Uh, You're in your second series now? Uh, We we just finished it uh, in terms of airing. We got to pick up for the third season. We start shooting that uh, in about two weeks. Wow. Yeah, wow. it's it's amazing. The fan response has been wonderful to the show, and uh, we've started, you know, getting out in the convention cir- circuit and meeting folks. And it's been, I just love the sci-fi world for that, where where there's so much interactivity with the folks with whom you know for whom you're making the show, but also with whom you're creating the world, because they end up being, especially in this era of um, of social media, they end up being active participants right. in the creation of the show. And uh, our showrunner is. Uh, He's very present on social media and will frequently ask, uh, you know, ask the the fans questions and feedback and where do you want to see the characters going. And uh, all of the uh, episode titles were actually named uh, by um, by a vote. Um, really? From the fans? To, yeah, from the fans. Every <laughs> single last one of them. So uh, it's, it's a lot of fun being part of this world, for sure. And so when the show started... Until now, the characters are, are, are on this crazy arc, right? Yeah. So let's tell people who don't know, how did it begin? Wait a minute. There's people out there that don't know Richard? What? <laughs> there's three. There's, there's like yeah. three of them, and I want to be, in, I'm like Donald Trump. I want to be inclusive. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure you do. Um, oh, how topical, given that today yeah, is yeah, uh, yeah. the day after <laughs> the momentous election. Um, so yeah, basically the show is uh, first season, first episode, uh, uh, six of us wake up on a ship. We realize that we, you know, the ship is 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 um, has been injured and is is uh, the the atmosphere in the ship is is quickly disappearing and we're about to die. But we realize we don't have any of our memories. We don't know who we are. We don't know our names. We don't know each other. We don't know where we're going. None of that stuff. At the by the end of that first uh, episode. Uh, we have assumed that we are, you know, the good guys riding in to deliver these weapons to this this poor uh, poor mining colony that's uh, that's in revolution against the big bad corporations. And it turns out we're actually the mercenaries sent to kill them, mm. and we're bad, you know, <laughs> kidnappers and murderers and thieves, and that's who we are. Except we can't remember any of it. Right. We don't know who we've stolen from. We don't know who our allies are. Uh, our enemies, we have very few allies, as, as it turns out, now that we're all the way through two seasons. And the first season is, uh, and, and the second season is exploration of um, of what it would be like to wake up one day and uh, and really have no conception of who you are. And are you still that person if you... If you don't remember oh, being, yeah, has the has the slate been wiped yes. clean, 
Or are yeah. you still that person? That's and, interesting. And can you ever actually change? I mean, in, in a lot of ways, the show is about second chances and changes. And I think that's what uh, a lot of the audience has keyed into um, because it is, you know, fundamentally, we've all gone, geez, I just wish I could have a fresh start. You right. know, I wish I could do high school over again or university or, you know, start this job over again. And and fundamentally, that's the show, you know, like it's it's what would happen if you had a chance. Is it the unpredictability too, perhaps, of the characters? Because I suppose... You think you know the characters. You think you yeah. know where everything is going, but blank slate time. Yeah, you never know true. where they're going to go. In fact, we we definitely don't even know where we're yeah. going to go. I mean, now we're at the end of second season. We have, uh, I think, we know. Um, there's still a lot of secrets uh, right. that the uh, that you know the powers that be have kept from us. <laughs> um, but during the first season, I mean, the truth is, we we you know as we were shooting the stuff, we were getting the scripts, going, "Oh my, this is I didn't realize this happened." And and I think they've done a really good job of 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 flipping all the characters on their heads. The ones you think are good uh, will do really bad things. The ones you think are bad, uh, my character, who embraces the fact that he's a mercenary and a badass. He's like, whatever, at least I'm good at something. Um, <laughs> he, it, it, it turns out that he has a, a really solid um, uh, a really solid and healthy past and something happened to him that, that turned him into the person. But when he discovers that and he discovers he has empathy and he, he is caring and loyal, in fact, he's probably the most empathetic, caring, loyal character on the show, paradoxically, because he's a total dick. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's very hard for him to incorporate that into his image of himself. The show is Dark Matter. The actor is Anthony Lemke. Uh, the show won the, uh, it's nominated for a People's Choice Award for uh, Best Sci-Fi Fantasy Series. Yes, indeed. Fingers crossed there. Yeah, Season three crossed. is officially heading into production. You're also uh, currently shooting Jason Priestley's Private Eyes. <laughs> I am. Yeah, that, you betcha. I have my first day. I uh, did a little guest star yeah. spot before uh, Dark Matter starts. A lot of fun. He came on and, and directed in uh, in episode in uh, season two. And uh, so, you know, getting uh, getting to be able to go on his show and play is a lot of fun. And you're uh, in the uh, miniseries, The Kennedys, after Camelot, <laughs> yeah. starring opposite Katie Holmes. Yeah, well, I, I don't star opposite. <laughs> I think I had, uh, as I was in the building once when, <laughs> when she was shooting a scene. My character doesn't play with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I play Joe Gargan, who is a cousin. And, um, he, you know, it's interesting because I remember uh, we, we vacationed in Cape Cod as like literally 11 years in a row. And so I remember that incident. I was too young to... The incident is Chappaquiddick. Yeah, it's Chappaquiddick, exactly. And I was too, you know, I was too young to actually have been around for that incident. Um, But the repercussions of that incident, no. I mean, for sure. I mean, we knew that. I'd driven down to it. I mean, I knew what that was all about. And getting a chance to, you know, be part of that telling of that history was really cool, man. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, you're busy. I've been fortunate. It, yeah. it feels like you're just juggling a lot of different stuff. Yeah, it's um, uh, if you if you talk to my family, they they'd say they'd say that that's exactly what's going on, and I should probably juggle a little bit less stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to talk about your work with Handicap International. Uh, it's a, a great organization uh, that works in situations of poverty and exclusion, conflict and disaster in regions like Syria, Iraq, Yemen, the Republic of South Sudan. Um, I guess let's let's. Let's get started. How did you become involved with them? You're shooting a big time sci-fi movie. You're a Kennedy on TV 
and now you're uh, working with us. How did that happen? Yeah, um, actually, it happened via the big sci-fi series. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's a good fit. Uh, what happened was I, I'd, I've been to law school. I've, done, I've worn many hats in my life, and one of them was law school, and I ended up working at a, at a firm as a student for a little while. And one of the guys who, um, uh, who I was working with, who I was hired with, he was my cohort. We've stayed in touch. Obviously, I've moved on from that life. Uh, but he's still there, and he's a partner, and he's... You know, he's, he's what happens when you're in a career for 10, 15 years. He's moved up in life, and uh, he, he's a partner at that firm, and he's also now on the board of Handicap International uh, Canada. And um, he's a big sci-fi fan. <laughs> so when he uh, heard that I was on this show, um, and the show, you know, it's not just on Space Network. It's in about 160 countries yeah. worldwide. It's, it's everywhere. And... Um, it, it, that dovetails a lot with, uh, with Handicap International in the sense that Handicap International is active in uh, 60 countries around the world. Um, so they're, they're, they are very present in uh, zones of, as you mentioned, poverty and exclusion and, and natural disasters and war uh, throughout the world. Um, uh, and, and, and I think what he thought was this, is, this works very well. Mm-hmm. And um, what he didn't realize is that you know, Handicap International ends up dealing with a lot of things, you know, a lot of situations like the refugee crisis in, in Syria. And what he didn't realize is that in my family, um, you know, my parents and my wife's parents actually both have direct, um, they have direct experience with the notion of fleeing. And my, my, wife, my mother-in-law was born in a DP camp. My father-in-law, you know, put all his stuff on a wagon and took off with the Russian bombs falling around him. And, um, you know, things could have so easily worked out differently for, um, for either my wife's family or my family um, had, had they ended up um, either acquiring some, some sort of physical disability mm-hmm. via that experience or had they had one to start with. I mean, I wouldn't be here. So, you know, I think when, when um, they approached me to be part of this uh, and I found out what it was they were doing, it really spoke it spoke to me, and uh, you know, it's been about a year that I've been involved with these guys, and uh, they are just a bang-up organization that does a lot of great around the world. Um, and I'm excited that that you know you took the time to to you know to talk to me about this. And, uh, and oh, we're going to continue the, the conversation. Out. Yeah, we're going to continue the conversation. Great. We've only got about a minute left here, but one of the goals of the organization is to eradicate the use of explosive weapons that cause tens of thousands of civilian casualties in populated areas every year. Yeah. In a minute, begin the answer of how that's going to happen. Well, it, it started a little while ago, actually, with the, uh, with the Ottawa Treaty, the Mine Ban Treaty, where um, they actually won a Nobel Prize along with the coalition that, that got this treaty off the ground. Essentially, what you do is you put pressure and you start changing uh, the public perception that it's not okay to drop a bomb in the middle of a Syrian village, even if you are the good guys, that, right. that on the whole, you're killing civilians. And that's, it's been that way since the beginning of bombs, and it will continue to be that way. So getting that word out is very, very important. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking with uh, Anthony Lemke. We're going to talk about Handicap International Canada uh, and your travels with him because you've now been uh, going around the world, stopping here and there, and and seeing. And I, and I want to hear about this. I want to I want to hear about what it's like to put boots on the ground yeah. uh, and see this stuff for yourself because I think it's one thing to sit here in a radio studio and talk about it. It's one thing to read about it in a newspaper, but when you're there, I spoke with Alan Cumming recently, mm-hmm. uh, who is trying to raise money to get clothes for Syrian refugees. And he went there. He went and met them. Yeah. And it was a, a completely 
different story, 100% different story once he started talking to the people uh, on the ground. So it we're going to uh, find out all about that and, and your work uh, on the ground when we come back. My guest is Anthony Lemke. You can see him on Dark Matter and you can hear him continuing when we come back. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. Anthony Lemke is in studio with me. You know him from the show Dark Matter on Space TV. Uh, you'll see him in the Kennedys after Camelot. Private Eyes with Jason Priestley coming up soon. Uh, lots of different stuff. You've seen him for years and things. You're doing something a little different now, though. We're talking today about Handicap International Canada. This is an organization that wants to eradicate the use of explosive weapons that cause tens of thousands of civilian casualties in populated areas every year. So they approached you. We heard that story in the last segment. Uh, and you've been on the road. Uh, you've been you've traveling a little bit. Tell me about where you've been. Sure. Um, I've, I've be just begun that yeah. uh, experience. Uh, as I mentioned before, they're in about 60 countries around the mm -hmm. world. They have activities there. Um, and they, uh, about six months ago, they said, all right, here it begins. This is, you know, we'd like you to go and visit as many of these, these places as possible to be able to tell the story uh, better and get the word mm -hmm. out. And uh, so they gave me the choice of going anywhere. And I chose Laos yeah. um, because Laos is... It, it shocked me. Um, it's a country that's not in, it's not like Syria or Colombia mm -hmm. or uh, any number of countries in Africa or the Middle East. It's a country that you, well, A, that many people haven't even heard of, but B. It's you just would, above Thailand, right? Yeah, it's just next to. Uh, yeah. And um, it, it, the reason that they are there, it, it harkens back to the Vietnam War. And it is actually the most bombed country in the world. It is the most polluted country with unexploded ordnance in the world. During the uh, Vietnam conflict uh, that they refer to as the second Indochina War, because mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it eclipsed the, the, the area as opposed to just Vietnam, um, there were 580,000 bombing missions over nine years uh, into a country that technically the Americans weren't at war with. It's called, it's referred to now as the secret war. Um, that works out to about one bombing run over that little country of about six million people every eight minutes for about nine years. And why did you choose to go there? Um, because it's it's startling that fifty years after that began, um, people are still dying. The, you know, the 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 Vietnam War. I mean, we don't you know we don't even we barely even see movies about it anymore. Mm -hmm. We've been through the, like it's over. It's a history book war for us. Yeah. Um, but the war continues on for them. Like when I was there uh, about a month earlier, a couple, uh, a, a young couple of kids, a brother and sister just died because they were digging for crickets and they hit a, a hit one of these little bombies they're called. It's part of cluster munitions and we'll talk about that later. But the point is they were digging for crickets, folky crickets out in the countryside. They hit something that the Americans dropped 50 years ago and they died. And that is happening less, fortunately, than it used to, but it's still happening. And uh, that shocked me uh, because we think the story's over. Mm -hmm. We think that, you know, definitely 50 years after a war is over or 45, wherever, wherever we are right now from the end of that war, uh, we figure, okay, it's over, done, it's history, but it's not. Well, and I think of landmines maybe left behind, but the idea of uh, unexploded... Ordinance. Ordinance uh, yeah. doesn't, doesn't. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, mind. that country is not, um, uh, landmines are an issue in a lot of places yeah. like Colombia. I think that will probably be our next, uh, our next visit. Um, but they aren't really an issue in Laos. It's all unexploded ordinance. It's right. all um, largely cluster bombs. 
um, Handicap International, uh, along with uh, a consortium of individuals, has uh, of, of groups, sorry, has been um, uh, has been inv- in- integrally involved in the cluster ban treaty as well. It's a little bit similar to the, the mine mm-hmm. ban treaty, where countries say, "Okay, listen, this is just a bad weapon. We shouldn't be using this." And uh, that treaty, uh, is, Canada has signed that treaty. Uh, you know, the big players haven't. <laughs> America hasn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but this is how society changes. Where you go there and, and you see, for instance, so we went to a, um, a clearance zone, and it's roughly the size of, I'll call it a you know suburban high school field. You know, like it's large. It's right. it's in between. Two, it's right in between two villages. To be very clear, okay. So picture like your you know your soccer diamond, your your soccer field, your baseball diamond, and your and your football field from your high school. Okay, right. picture that, and. 50 years after the bombs drop, they do something they call a non-technical survey, which literally is they go talk to the folks in the village and they say, yeah, have you seen any bombs? And they go out and they go, yeah, yeah, I've seen here. Just come here, with, come here with me and I'll show you where they are. And they found 32 in that space, okay? Each one of them is capable of killing or seriously maiming. Um, and that's just sort of lying around. They don't dig. They don't get out the, the, the metal detectors, nothing, okay? So once they localize those. And so people know that they're there and, yeah. they, and people just walk around them. There's probably yeah. pathways worn yeah. around these things. Yeah. And in fact, this one had, uh, this one had been fenced off. It was, right. I guess it was deemed by the local population to, to be a little unsafe. <laughs> So then they will bring in uh, the technical survey team, and the technical survey team will uh, quite methodically clear that whole thing of all of its shrapnel. It'll take about a year and a half for a team of roughly 12 to clear basically something the size of your, uh, you know, like I said, the like high school. football field. Yeah, yeah. A, fo- a couple football fields, that kind of thing. And um, to give you an idea of the scope, they'll find roughly another, you know, 30, 35 uh, little bomblets in there. And uh, that probably represents the remnants of about two cluster bombs. Right. That's it. Each cluster bomb has uh, about 300 little bombies in it. And about a third of them didn't explode at the time, either because, the, you know, the rainy season, the ground's mush or whatever, just didn't work. Um, and uh, so here we are, and it's just astounding when you go out there and you see that and that's, by the way, that's clearing to, to a depth of 20, 25 centimeters, which right. is sort of the international standard. So everything below that, there's still stuff there. So if someone decides they're going to dig a well. Bingo. They have, yeah. to, they have to go back and, and get that cleared first. So it's, it's a massive, massive job. And uh, about 2% of the job's been done. And it's been, you know, 40 years since the end of that war. Um, and it's, how interested, though, are people in getting it done? I mean, obviously the people that yeah. live there, but outside forces, other than Handicap uh, uh, Canada, Handicap International Canada, how interested are people in making that happen? Well, historically not. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, right? I mean, here we are 40, 50 years later. Um, the problem is huge. And uh, those, mo- uh, they are, sorry, the, the uh, unexploded ordinance is everywhere. Um, uh, they have been in Laos for a while now, uh, and it, you know it's a communist regime, mm-hmm. still is, and so it started uh, roughly, uh, call it roughly twenty years ago. But but uh, it started in concert with them and with a few international NGOs saying we got to do something about right. this because there were about 300, 300 people dying a year from this. Um, but you know it's a complicated issue because there is a government in place, um, and 
How do you how do you deal with that societal choice to not clear? Well, and there's you know? also grinding poverty there as well, which is there probably is. another uh, aspect of this. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Anthony Lemke. We're talking about Handicap International Canada and his trip to Laos. And I want to talk about the people you met, the kind of conversations you had with people and uh, going to the COPE Centre which is something that yeah. uh, in the literature here is very interesting. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. Anthony Lemke is here. You know him as an actor on Dark Matter. He plays three, a.k.a. Marcus Boone. Uh, see that on the Space Channel. Also, you've seen him in The Kennedys, After Camelot, coming up soon on Jason Priestley's show, Private Eyes. Uh, one of the things you may not know, although if you've been listening, you already do know, that he's an ambassador for Handicap International Canada. You went to Laos. You were talking about the enormous problem they have there with unexploded ordinances dropped during the Vietnam War. Thousands? I mean, there's tens of thousands probably. Oh, no, there's, there's millions, actually. There's, there's millions about 80, of them. 80 million individual unexploded ordinances in the country. That are still there yep. anywhere probably from inches to feet under the ground. People are still yeah. finding them and being blown up. And yeah. one of, the, one of the, the goals of Handicap International is to get rid of these things. It seems almost insurmountable. Well, I think it is. I, I don't think there's any, uh, you know, no one's laboring under any misapprehension that, uh, that this is going to, this is going to happen anytime soon. Uh, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't get in there and try to do it. And Handicap International isn't the only NGO in there. There are a number of others. And uh, there is a government agency who, who oversees all of this, uh, who, you know, ha now have become quite helpful. Mm -hmm. And the attitudes have shifted from about 20 years ago, where now Handicap International is involved in education about, um, uh, you know, spreading education throughout the affected areas so that the kids know how to carry out their act. They're not going to stop digging for crickets. Right. But there's a way that you can dig for crickets that will not get you killed if you hit a bomb. And, um, you know, Handicap, we went to the schools and saw the kids, and it's a lot of fun, honestly. Yeah. When you go to these schools, and they, they're really good at what they do, Handicap International and the education and outreach portion of what they do. Um, and the kids are smiling and laughing and singing songs and about something that's really quite scary. But the truth is, um, it's part of their reality and has been part of their reality for generations. It's the it's the normal, right? Yes. You can get used to almost anything, I guess. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and what's interesting about Handicap International there is that they literally run the full amount of what they do in Laos. Like everything from pulling the bombs out of the ground to education uh, to providing prosthetics and dealing with rehabilitation. Um, but they also do advocacy work uh, and they are also involved in... Um, uh, with the children's hospital in identifying um, folks with, uh, well, children, you know, babies, yeah. with, um, you know, who, who might have some sort of learning disabilities. Right. Um, and that, that had nothing to do necessarily mm -hmm. with, with the bombs. But because they have this expertise, uh, the government, um, and this is, this is common for Handicap International, the government uh, ends up using that expertise in other fields so that they can, they can jump their own development ahead and uh, and so it's it's an exciting place to be, uh, and it's an exciting place to learn about what Handicap International is doing. Tell me about meeting the people. Tell me about uh, feet on the ground because uh, that yeah. is uh, the game changer. That's yeah. I think when you start talking to people, and as you say, this is a, a a problem that's gone on not for ten years, not for twenty, but for generations. Yeah. And so there are theoretically kids there whose grandparents dealt with this same problem. 
Well, I mean, if you go on uh, onto my Instagram, there's a, there's a photo of a family there, and uh, the gentleman is um, he is blind and uh, has lost uh, lost some fingers and part part of an arm, and um, you know his mother is sitting there, and she lost her husband to uh, to the actual war, um, mm-hmm. and she would have assumed that you know, that her son would be okay all these mm-hmm. years later. But in the end, no. So, you know, the, there's a couple generations sitting right there. And, of course, that guy's a father. So, yeah. you know, there's the third generation that's affected by, you know, you know, these are the ones who are now raising the goats instead of going to school because they have to, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. They have to help out around the house. And so there's three generations right there. Um, but that story is by no means unique. It's, um, I think, you know, you... Everybody you talk to there has a story right. about that, about the Vietnam War, about the Yellow Rain, about the about the bombies, about the Yellow yeah. Rain is, yeah, it's Agent Orange. Yeah, Agent Orange. Yeah, yeah. which um, and there's you know that's a whole other issue. There are yeah. still folks um, that are suffering from that uh, even now, and uh, but we won't bother going into that. <laughs> that's a different kind of thing. But so, is it heartbreaking or is it helpful? When oh, you're there. oh man, I would. Uh, it's really, really mixed. I'll be honest with you, Richard. It's uh, it's what's what's hopeful about it is that you know attitudes are changing. Mm-hmm. That um, that the people, the Laotian people, are a hopeful people. Um, they are honestly a, a wonderfully welcoming and peaceful people. Um, what is what is heartbreaking is obviously the fact that, you know, the scale of what you're facing and you realize that this is not going to be fixed with, you know, uh, President Obama was there just before we were, about a, a month before, and they had announced a $90, $90 million over uh, over three years. But it's a drop in the bucket. They were spending, you know, in today's today's dollars, hundred you know, hundred million bucks every day <laughs> dropping pops. You know, like it's it's absurd, right? So, it won't be fixed anytime soon. Uh, all you can do is educate, uh, rehabilitate. Um, you know, what's heartwarming is you go to these, they have these movie nights in, in the villages, and uh, there's this really wonderful moment where they're talking about essentially integration of uh, people living with disabilities into their societies. And it's, it's the Handicap uh, International Educators. And to be clear, they're all, most of them, like 95% of them are from Laos. Right. It's not like a bunch of Westerners going in there and doing this. We're going to tell you how everything's going to work. No, yeah. that's not how Handicap International works. Yeah. The, uh, the project, you know, the project leaders, you know, the, the main, the head of the demining team is uh, a guy from New Zealand uh, who's been around all over. I mean, he's got stories. But everybody else on the demining team is from, from uh is oh. is lo- basically local, and it, it's the same for most uh, most operations that Handicap International does around the world. So the education team they're from Laos, and it was this beautiful moment where um, they're talking about what it is that people living with disabilities can do. And he would ask questions, and the kid would an- kids would answer with the exuberance that only you know, and only yeah, grade yeah. schoolers have. And you know, he would ask a question like, "Can uh, can they get married?" And they'd be like, "Yay!" <laughs> you know, this kind of thing. Can they work around the community? And they're like, "Yeah." And you know, every once in a while, the kids would sort of you know be less convinced about right. what it was that that people with living disabilities living with disabilities could do. And then he would sort of mine a little bit deeper and get them to understand. And they all understand because they all know people right. living with disabilities. So in that way, it's incredibly uh, heartwarming and hopeful. Does having kids yeah. make it a, a little deeper and, and, yeah. and a different kind of experience for you? 
Yeah, because uh, a disproportionate amount of the uh, of the victims are kids, and, mm-hmm. and you know you, you want to let your kids run around and play in the fields and have a good time, and uh, and you know we live out in the country to be honest. So uh, the notion of of uh, of you know of, of these bombs being in the ground and you losing your kids because they were out there. Um, and one of the stories is actually one of the deminers. Now uh, he he lost use of one eye and, and, and part of one hand. Uh, because he was a kid and he was out with his slingshot and ran out of rocks. And he knew that there was a, a specific kind of bomby that had little uh, little pellets inside it, you know, like shot essentially to try to yeah, maim yeah, more yeah. people. Um, and he picked up, he found one. He said, oh, cool, I'll just open that up and grab the shot. But there are a whole bunch of different types of these bombies. And uh, the Americans were sort of experimenting with different types of cluster bombs in the period. And uh, it was not the type he thought it was. And it exploded in, in his face. And, uh, and he was just a kid, you know, shooting, you know, slingshot. Being, being a goofy kid. Being a goofy yeah. kid, yeah. And, uh, you know, his story ended up decently well in the sense that, you know, he's now, he's now taking the stuff out of the ground, being paid to do it and uh, doing a good job doing it. So... I'm speaking with Anthony Lemke. You know him from the hit television series Dark Matter on Space TV. He's also an ambassador for Handicap International Canada. Uh, We're talking about his uh, travel to Laos. I didn't know this. To date, Laos remains the most heavily bombed country in the world per capita. Handicap International Canada is trying to make some headway in removing these unexploded ordinances. You went, you saw it uh, up close and personal. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about what people can do here to make a difference and how they can learn more. There's got to be websites. There's got to be all sorts of ways to uh, figure this out. But uh, we'll get to that when we come back uh, with Anthony Lemke. A couple of other facts about Laos. During the uh, U.S.-led secret war from 1964 to 73, over 850,000 bombing missions took place over Laos. It's the kind of stuff that you didn't hear on the news while it was happening. It's the kind of stuff that's probably not even in the history books. Two million tons of bombs were dropped on this tiny country, and 10 to 30% of those bombs did not explode on impact and lie in wait. We will discuss uh, the trip to Laos and handicap inter- National Canada with Anthony Lemke when we come back. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. I'm in studio with Anthony Lemke. The television show is called Dark Matter on Space TV. We may talk about that in a few minutes. We're still, right now, talking about Handicap International Canada. Uh, they are a uh, uh, group that wants to eradicate the use of explosive weapons that cause tens of thousands of civilian casualties in populated areas every year. Anthony traveled to Laos recently, uh, something I didn't know, it remains the most heavily bombed country in the world per capita following the Vietnam War, so 50 years ago. Yeah. Uh, you were there, you saw it. What can people do here in Canada to help? Handicap International is, is uh, an organization that's relatively unknown in Canada. So spread the word. I mean, get the word out. You know, yeah. go to go to our website, handicapinternational.ca. Um, we are one of the national. It's a coalition of uh, national offices. There's one in the UK and in the in America. It was founded by a, a Frenchman. Uh, Handicap International is very well known in France. Um, and uh, it does not receive uh, a huge amount of finan- of its financing for its operations from individuals. So um, it, it does receive a fair amount of its financing f- through governments because, right. you know, been around forever and doing work that uh, aligns a lot with, you know, for instance, uh, CETA. You know, they have, they have mandates to help folks living with disabilities in, in these types of uh, really underprivileged, underdeveloped situations or conflict zones. Um, 
and, and uh, you know, governments will fund. Um, but the truth is, in terms of funding, uh, you know, governments have to have to really care. They have to care mm-hmm. about the. They have to see that their people care about the same issues that that uh, that Handicap International does. So learn about it. Share share. Uh, the story of Handicap International. And what's really interesting about, about what they do is, you know, their foundational story is, is I think, one of the most touching stories. And it, it was founded by a guy uh, during, um, uh, during the Khmer Rouge time where he, uh, he kept seeing uh, the – he was a, um, a doctor without border. He was, mm-hmm. a, he was a gynecologist, actually. <laughs> Nothing to do right. with prosthetic limbs and, and, and dealing with people living with disabilities. Uh, but he kept watching after the curfew was lifted in the morning, kept watching the ambulances come over, bringing people who had uh, lost limbs mm-hmm. because the whole border, the Cambodian border was mined. And he kept seeing that happen and he kept seeing the uh, doctors that borders people fix them up and then send them on their way. Right. And, and you probably see the same faces back six yeah. months later. Yeah. Well, you know, it, 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 for him, he watched it for about a year and he said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Some, somebody has to help these people integrate into life because they would come over largely as, as farmers, mm-hmm. subsistence farmers, and they would leave largely as beggars. And right. that, was, that was it. There was no, there was no integration back into society. Um, and he, he thought we can do better. Um, this is, you know, this is at the time he says, you know, in that camp, in that DP camp, you had the best the West, Western society had to offer in terms of uh, health, uh, health training and health care. And nobody was doing anything. And so that's where, that's where he said, I, I can do something. Even though I don't know anything about how to rehabilitate people and how to build prosthetic limbs, I can do something. And, um, you know, fast forward, that, it's that can-do attitude that, that Handicap International has brought into the 60 countries in, in which it works. So you, f- you think about Haiti and, you know, after the earthquake, there were 3,000 people living with disabilities created in one day in a country that doesn't have an infrastructure to deal with folks mm-hmm. living with disability. It just doesn't. It doesn't, didn't have physiotherapists. So Handicap International was involved in training physiotherapists. And then once they had the training, they all left for Montreal. So <laughs> then they were involved in creating jobs for those physiotherapists right. in Haiti. So it's spreading the word is really, really important. Um, and the second thing I think is one of the things that I've really learned in the year of working with them is we in the West, um, we're in love with bombing missions, aren't we? You know, it's how we're going to help our, our international partners. Um, and it feels like we're doing something good and I'm not, I'm not here to say we're not, um, but I am here to say when we send our, uh, our planes over and bomb uh, Syria in support of the fight against ISIS. You know, we should know that, you know, this is not, we have not advanced to the stage where we have surgical precision. And the, and most of the people that, that are affected by our bombs are civilians. And that is still the case today. So I'm not saying stop bombing. Handicap International isn't overtly political that way. But Handicap International is about educating people that there are consequences and long term consequences. Laos, think of Laos, 50 years later, people are still suffering. You know, I, I remember going, uh, we went to a bomb explosion site where they take all the large bombs to go, to go, ex- just blow them up. Yeah. So, um, cause you got to do something with that. They're massive. And, uh, as we were driving up there, he said, oh yeah, Hey, we found one. Uh, we found one today. And he, he just sort of stops and we, we get out and we walk through the jungle and which is po- still pockmarked with, uh, with craters, right? right? But trees have grown out of it. 
And there is a 750-pound bomb just sitting there on the ground. You can see it. For 40 years, 50 years. For 40 years, 50 years. And they're all over. And and this is kind of what I think Canadians need to be aware of, that um, we should be more considered in our responses. And... We might, we might also consider that if it's, if it's really worth helping out, it might be worth sending in actual bodies as opposed to just the bombs. Uh, or is there another way to help um, that, that might not have the long-lasting effects? Uh, it's, it's a complex question. I don't pretend to have the answer to it, but I think uh, the discussion needs to be had in Canada uh, because it's currently what, we're, what we seem to be most comfortable with. Um, so that's another element that I think uh, that I think is important. And yeah, sure, give money. Go to the site, give money. It, it goes to. They're a really low overhead organization. I've been to their offices. You know, they share their offices with another uh, with another NGO. They don't. You know, they really don't have a large uh, institution that you're funding. The money goes out in the field, and it, and it does really great work helping people living with disabilities in places that are just hard to be where there just isn't a government taking care of them or um or they're living in in a conflict zone where they're their government's bombing them or whatever you know like in syria or they're living in dp camps um if that story speaks to you and i think it probably speaks to a lot of canadians because we are a nation of immigrants mm-hmm. um and largely immigrants come because uh, they're living in the mouth of sharks. They're living in a situation that's much worse. So people can identify with this. And we are the lucky ones who've made it here. Um, so, you know, share a thought. Share, share your pocketbook and, uh, and help out folks who, who haven't been so lucky. It's handicapinternational.ca. You yeah. can go there. Uh, all the details that you need will be there. It seems like you kind of dove head first into this one, going to uh, the most heavily bombed country in the world. What's next? Where will you go next? I think I think it'll be Colombia. It's always about finding stories that resonate, I think, with right. people. And that resonated with me because people know about the Vietnam right. War. People uh, assume that it's over. And it's a blast from the past to realize that it's not over. Um, and I think Colombia is uh, another interesting uh, story. I, I don't, uh, you know, people know about Colombia. People are starting to vacation in Colombia. Mm-hmm. It's become, you know, the, the whole FARC thing is over. Except, of course, it isn't. Uh, and it's much more dangerous in, in a way there because they, um, they use landmines. And landmines are incredibly unpredictable, um, which is one of the interesting things that I learned that you know the bombies; uh, they're they're quite dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you step on them, you're probably not likely to 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 die. Whereas right. landmines, that's not the case. Uh, they remain incredibly trigger sensitive. They blow up, don't they? they? Like they literally they shoot upwards, right? Well, it, it's part of how they explode, but it's uh, it's also part of uh, just the way the trigger mechanism works in the two two different devices and what their purposes were. Right. Um, and you know, paradoxically, the mass of 750 pound bomb that we found is actually fairly inert. Um, they'll, uh, you know, they'll pick it up and put it in the back of their truck and, and haul it off to this massive bomb site and stick a bunch of C4 on. And I actually got to press the little trigger button and blow a bunch of these up. Um, and it'll shake the ground and massive crater. It'll be, bit, but you know, it, it, unless you stick the C4 on it, they won't detonate, but landmines, uh, no man, they're the whole point of those things is when you step on them, they, you know, they blow up in your face and kill you and, um, or maim you seriously. And, uh, that's a that's a really serious problem in that in that country. So I suspect it might be something like that. Um, 
because, again, it's a story that Canadians know that I think will resonate with Canadians that, okay, hey, Columbia's calmed down. You know, I'm starting to go there. I, you know, I know people who've gone there on vacation. So if that's the case, then, well, what is the legacy of war uh, there? And in that case, it's not, uh, you know, it's not the West directly uh, who was involved in that conflict. Um, but uh, it is... It is something that if we're going to go hang out there in the resorts and go vacation or whatever, we might also give a thought to, to, to folks who are living with the legacy, you know, and largely it's innocent parties. I'm speaking with Anthony Lemke. You know him from the show Dark Matter and lots of other things, including the Kennedys, After Camelot, Private Eyes, Bomb Girls, 912, or 192, rather. I was, uh, forever, I have called that show 912. It's <laughs> like I, I can't read what's uh, written in front of me. I don't know that there's a precinct called 912, but 192, yes. Uh, but you are an ambassador for Handicap International. You can find out more about Handicap International at handicapinternational.ca. Uh, Anthony, thank you so much uh, for coming thank in. You, talking Richard. about this. Um, it's, uh, it, it's such a great cause. Um, let me know uh, when you're going to Columbia. Perhaps you can come in and, and talk about that right afterwards. Love do you to. take a, a crew with you? Do you shoot anything so that we can see yeah. what's happening? This, uh, this time, uh, a photographer and uh, journalist uh, from the Toronto Star uh, called Daniel Lotus came along with us. And uh, so watch out for his piece uh, or his pieces. Um, he, uh, you know, he will write mostly about it. Right. Uh, it's not so much shooting video footage. Um, but he's a, he's a great guy who knows the area super well. He's lived in Cambodia, and uh, it, it was wonderful to have him on the trip. And so watch, uh, watch out for those stories. Yeah, I think people have to really see it. A picture speaks a thousand words. People yeah, have to see it to, to completely understand it. Uh, Anthony Lemke has been my guest. Dark Matter is on Space TV. The third season is coming up. There's a nomination for a People's Choice Award for Best Sci-Fi and Fantasy Series. Look out for him on Private Eyes. You're all over the television. I can't <laughs> get away from you on TV. Uh, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks to Andre on the board. Most of all, uh, thanks to you for listening and be sure to tune in again next week.